If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 199 of the Yappin' Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on October 15th, 2023, as we sit once again, one episode away from the Bicentennial episode 200. Holy crap! Holy crap is right. (laughs) That is probably the only appropriate comment at this point in time. And yes, you might also notice today, folks, that my voice is a little bit raspy. You could thank that, or rather thank the Misfits Boxing pay-per-view last night. Got myself a little bit amped up at some of the fights, so sorry about that, but nonetheless, voice is a little bit raspy, but hey, we're still going to do the best we can out here, because that's what we do every single week on Yapping Yankees now, isn't it? But I already did go into a whole diatribe last week about how I cannot believe how close we are to episode 200. I still can't believe it, especially since it's only one episode away now, which is surreal, that for over four years I've been doing this show, and it's almost time for the bicentennial episode. I've been going around and telling everyone about it that doesn't know. And they're like, holy crap, you've done 200 episodes. So it's, listen, I'm aware it's a big accomplishment. It doesn't feel like it was that much work for me because doing this show is that much fun. I enjoy talking about the Yankees that much, especially when it comes to talking about them with all of you, my loyal listeners, even if you're just passing through this week or you've just been listening for a few weeks, a few years, or maybe since the very freaking beginning somehow because that would be impressive 200 episodes almost five years of coverage well five seasons of coverage almost five years of coverage as of next year if you've been listening from the start i applaud you yeah there you go because you deserve it you deserve it i deserve it for reaching 200 you deserve it for listening for that long if you have been how about that (laughs) so I just can't believe it, man. And I'm not going to spend as much time on it as I did last week because last week I went on a whole rant about it and, well, not angry rant, but on a whole tirade about how happy I was to be able to reach 200 episodes. It's a hell of a milestone for me. And as I'm sure you can imagine, I'm definitely going to be going in on it on the 200th episode itself. So we have plenty of time to talk about Yappin' Yankees, its history, how happy I am to hit 200, as if I haven't spoken about it enough already. But there is one little piece of eh, iffy news that comes with it. And that is the fact that unfortunately for you, you're going to have to wait two weeks to get it. Because next weekend, I do have to take a weekend off. I got a lot going on next weekend. Spending an entire day next Saturday with some friends, and then Sunday I'm going over to my cousin's house for like the entire day. So... I have no time, even if I wanted to pull it off on a Saturday, which I have done on occasion when absolutely needed for Yapping Yankees in weekends past these last four and a half or so years. I can't do that next weekend because I'm literally busy the entire day, both days next weekend. So I literally have no time to do the show next weekend, which is an extreme rarity, I know. 
because the consistency on the show is usually good, other than when I absolutely have something to do that I cannot get around. But next weekend's one of those weekends, so it really is... The timing's kind of crazy that it falls on the weekend that should have been 200. But hey, there is a good point about it from my perspective. And that is that I get to keep you guys in suspense. (laughs) Yeah, I've been told I'm evil before. Well, I'm doing it again now. Keeping you guys in suspense because there is going to be no Yapping Yankees next weekend. Just letting you know that. And I will be reminding you on social media in case you forget. But in two Sundays... On October the 29th, ironically two days away from one of my least favorite days of the year being Halloween, will be episode 200 of Yapping Yankees. So you're going to have to exhibit some patience for me these next couple of weeks. So I hope you could do that for me. Not that you have much of a choice, but I still hope that you could do that for me comfortably. But nonetheless, whether it be next week, the week after that, doesn't matter. I could not be more excited for the bicentennial episode than I already am. And now that I think about it, A weekend off next weekend could actually be good because it's been a few weekends now, a good amount of time since I've had a weekend off, and just like mentally prepare for a big episode because this is a big deal for me. It really is. 200 episodes is a really big deal for me, guys, and it would be for anybody. It's a big accomplishment in the content creating world to be able to show that you have this kind of consistency, that you have this ability to go on for this long and be dedicated to something so religiously for so long, even if it feels easy because it's something you like to do. You wouldn't believe how many people out there, and this is true for a lot of people, unfortunately, even if it comes to doing something that they love, still finding the consistency to do it and having the discipline to do it is challenging for a lot of people because a lot of people just rather sit back and enjoy their lives as much as possible, and they should. Part of living life is enjoying it as much as you can as well. But sometimes when you do that, You sink into a place where you start to get a little lazy and a little complacent. But to show that you could do something for years and years and years and years and stick with it, be as consistent as possible, show you're dedicated to it constantly, it is an accomplishment in its own right. And I do acknowledge that. And we're going to be sure to celebrate it plenty in a couple of weeks. So still beyond ecstatic for episode 200. I cannot wait for it. I do feel somewhat bad that you guys have to be kept in suspense for a couple of weeks, but I'm guessing that it should be that much more exciting for when it does come out for me, for you, for everyone. So I am really excited for that and remain in disbelief that we are so close to such a huge milestone for this show that I have been so proud of for years now. But you know what I've also been left in a bit of disbelief with? That's the playoffs. Because honestly, a lot of unexpected crap has happened in the playoffs. So can I get an applause for that transition? I mean, come on. There you go. Come on. That was a W, guys. Come on. I try. I try. <laughs> so, But anyways, the playoffs. LDSs, except for one. All of them, except for just one. Completely unexpected. I gave my predictions... Like two weeks ago, I believe, and then again last week, mainly last week since the DSs were really getting started when we last spoke, and the wildcard rounds had ended very quickly, might I add. And that is the same exact thing for this past week when it comes to the LDSs, guys, honestly. Very similar. A lot of them ending very quickly and in completely unexpected fashion. I mean, I don't know where to begin. I look at all these series that started the last time we spoke on the 8th, 
We were talking about the Rangers and the Orioles series that was in Game 2 last Sunday when the Rangers won 11-8 in Baltimore, and the Twins actually managed to steal a game, Game 2, and even up that LDS in the American League at one with the Astros in Houston, which, yeah, I guess wasn't too big of a surprise because I was also talking about last week about how bafflingly awful the Astros have played at Minute Maid Park this year. Been really weird. And that applied to Game 2 yet again of the ALDS. Well, then Monday, the National League, as I said last Sunday, picked up action again. The Phillies and Braves and the Diamondbacks and Dodgers, both series where my predictions were incorrect. Like I said before, there was only one series of these four in the league division series on both sides. One series that I got correct and pretty much nailed, as a matter of fact. But the other ones went completely off the rails from what I had originally predicted. The Rangers and Orioles. Yeah, the Rangers grabbed game two. I still did not count the Orioles out, though, even if things were looking awfully bleak for them, especially going to Texas to play at least another game, possibly two. And then if a fifth game were forced, they'd return to Baltimore. That was looking highly unlikely. The Twins and the Astros was the one that I pretty much nailed. Rangers and Orioles, I said Orioles in five. I thought the Rangers would give a good fight, and thereby I also said because of that, that I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers happened to pull it out and surprise and upset the Orioles. That did not mean I expected the Rangers to sweep the Orioles (laughs) at all. And yeah, the Orioles' future, just because they're out, doesn't mean their future isn't bright or that they don't have a lot to look forward to, because they do. Their future is very bright. They have a very young and promising team full of studs that should be making an impact on the American League for the years to come, especially the American League East. So, absolute shock that the Orioles ended up getting swept. They would go to Texas and lose Game 3 7-1 to one after Evaldi pitches an absolute gem for the Rangers. Seven innings of one-run ball, not walking a single person, striking out seven. A good outing for him, really good. Orioles only putting up a run and go down, really without a whimper, honestly. Because the first game was close. The second game mostly was not close until the end when the Orioles brought it within three, but, I mean, the Rangers putting up 11 runs in that game, and then game three just really was not competitive. The Orioles were checked out. It looked like they were done, and they very much were. So the Rangers upsetting the 100-win Orioles, 101 to be exact, and they would end up getting swept by the 90-72 and Rangers. That was their record during the regular season. Goes to show how hard the postseason is to predict. Because a lot of these things go completely contrary to what we believe prior. And this was one of them. I was not going to be surprised if the Rangers happened to surprisingly pull this out, but I did not even have it close to the Rangers sweeping them. So that was completely unexpected. Completely and utterly unexpected. So a devastating sweep elimination of the American League's best team in the Baltimore Orioles. Done. Got that wrong. Crazy outcome on to the next, like I was beginning to mention before. Sometimes I lose myself in conversation. (laughs) Even if I'm the only one speaking. How about that? Twins and Astros. 
This one, from the beginning. I said that I expected the Astros. Granted, they're not the same team as before. They sucked at home this year. As a matter of fact, for those who don't know, the Astros are actually a sub-500 team at Minute Maid Park this year. Yes, that is 100% the truth. I expected the Astros to sweep or at most take four games to win this. I said I wouldn't be surprised if the Twins at least managed to pull one out, but no more than that. No more. The Astros at most would take four games. And I pretty much nailed that one, more or less. I didn't have a definitive three or four. I wasn't really sure. But more or less, I had it pegged down for the most part. So that was the series that I basically nailed. The Twins did manage to put up a good fight every now and again. The series and the scoring did get close at times. I mean, game three really wasn't. It was nine to one Astros. But game four, they only won three to two. It was really close, and the Twins actually managed to get on the scoreboard first in that game, and the Astros would put one up in the second and two in the fourth. And then other than a run being allowed to the Twins again in the bottom of the sixth, the Astros were able to hold it down for the 3-2 to series-clinching victory. But that game was real close. Game three really wasn't. Game two actually really wasn't close either because the 6 nothing Twins really shutting out the Astros until the end when they managed to put two runs up in the bottom of the eighth inning. And then the first game was pretty close. It wasn't for a while because, you remember, the Astros jumped out to a 5 nothing lead at first. But then after the seventh inning, when the Twins put up a four spot in that one inning, things were... It was 5-4 there before the Astros tacked on one more in the bottom of the half of that inning. But it got a little close at the end there. <laughs> for most of the game, the Astros had a healthy lead, got a little close. So I guess half the series was played pretty close. The other two games weren't really close. But still... Astros in four, more or less what I predicted, was not surprised by that result. I very much voiced that as a possibility, so not a surprise there. The National League, guys, (laughs) you want to talk about completely unexpected outcomes. Why don't we take a gander at the National League? (laughs) Because my God in heaven, who the hell would have expected at least I want to start here right away because I've been itching to talk about this on this show for days guys there's not been baseball played in days as it is because all of the division series wrapped up the latest on Thursday the 12th with the Phillies and the Braves which we'll get to in a second that's the second one I'm going to get to because that was pretty unexpected too but the one that I'm going to start with was I have no words. (laughs) I just don't have any words. But the last game played was the Phillies and the Braves on Thursday in Philadelphia, the 12th. So that was three days ago. And we're only getting baseball back tonight when the ALCS begins at 8.15, which I'm not going to be with you for because it's only shortly after five of the time I'm taping right now. And the game's not on for another few hours. By the time this episode comes out, that game will probably still be going on, the LCS game. But guys, the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. I don't think I have ever been more off base in my entire life about a series, whether it be in the regular season, the playoffs, even the World Series or what have you. Maybe even a spring training game. That's how off I was. But in my defense, (laughs) to protect myself against the notion that I have no clue what I'm talking about, nobody else on the face of the earth predicted this and if you did if you claim to have predicted this I require photo evidence 
or any kind of evidence that was documented of you predicting this, whether whether it be a photo, a video, a message, text message, or whatever, even a, in a freaking letter, guys, I require some proof, otherwise I call lies. I call complete and utter BS on your behalf, because there is no way that any baseball fan, I don't care, I do not care how much you anticipate the Dodgers to choke on a yearly basis in the playoffs. No one predicted it to this severe of a degree. That's right. The Dodgers choked again. But to say they did it in spectacular fashion is, again, something I managed to say basically every week on this show, basically the understatement of the 21st century. They faced the third wild card winning 84-win Diamondbacks team in the LDS. This was supposed to be a walk-in-the-park series for the Dodgers. Now, are the Diamondbacks a joke? No, they're not. Do they have good aspects of the team? Yes, they do. But the Dodgers should have handled them. Keyword being should have, because they very much did not. (laughs) Very much did not. And... As a matter of fact, got pretty embarrassed. Especially in the first game, when Clayton Kershaw, who outside of the 2020 screwed up postseason, because that entire year was screwed up thanks to COVID, but except for that year where he actually managed to pitch decently in the playoffs, we all know that Clayton Kershaw, one of the better regular season pitchers in all of baseball history, I believe it's very safe to say, has a reputation of being god-awful in the playoffs. Game one of this series was a prime example as to how he gained such a reputation. Because the guy allowed six runs, all earned, six runs, and only ended up getting an out at the end of it all. Sound familiar? Maybe like the Carlos Rodon Kansas City start? Well, that's Carlos Rodon. Not to say that Carlos Rodon himself has not also had spectacular seasons in the past because he has tended to here and there, but this is supposed to be Clayton freaking Kershaw. And six runs, only recording one out. Before you knew it, before you possibly even had a chance to get to the television to tune into this game, the game was over. The final score was 11-2 to Diamondbacks in Los Angeles, folks. My God. <laughs> Who the hell predicted it? Then they managed to steal Game 2 after putting up another three spot in the first inning, just jumping on the Dodgers before they even have a chance to settle in at the plate. Three runs is not insurmountable, of course, but it is definitely devastating when it's about the last thing you're expecting. It You're also at home if you're the Dodgers, so maybe you expect things to be a little bit more comfortable for you and a little bit more uneasy for the visitor, your opponent. They were not. <laughs> they were not. Sacrifice fly, RBI ground out, RBI single. And the only answer... The Dodgers had the only answers were a run in the fourth and a run in the sixth. J.D. Martinez went yard in the bottom of the fourth for the Dodgers. And then Kike Hernandez got an RBI single in the bottom of the sixth. So all the Diamondbacks outside of their three run first inning had to do was add on one more in the top of the sixth with Lourdes Goriel Jr., former Blue Jay, of course, hitting a home run to left center field, a bomb, made it four to one at the time. The Dodgers offense 
quietly into the night? <laughs> Just absolutely insane. Zach Gallen, five and a third, two runs, and the bullpen after that, man. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. So then they go back to Arizona, or they go to Arizona rather, because they hadn't been there in the series yet. And again, they just, the Dodgers, they had nothing. I mean, whenever the Diamondbacks really scored in this series, it was just in bunches. Usually, mostly in just one inning, but that's all it took because the Dodgers just, they had like no fight in them. Even in the third game, a four spot in the third inning when there was no score. Perdomo solo shot, Marte solo shot, Christian Walker solo shot. Moreno solo shot, and the pitch before that, he hit it just foul, so almost hit a home run. The next pitch, he hits an absolute tank job to center field. Four home runs in that one inning, off Lance Lynn, no less. And the Dodgers, two runs in the seventh, Chris Taylor RBI single, Kike Hernandez RBI single, that's it. The Diamondbacks, I had this series ending easily in a sweep, but at the hands of the Dodgers to the Diamondbacks, it went the complete opposite. You just can't predict some of this crap. You can't. Absolutely insane. So the Dodgers just, again, didn't show up, completely choked, played absolutely and utter non-competitive baseball. And they lose to an 84-win Diamondbacks team. It goes to show, yeah, the wins in the regular season, they don't mean anything in the postseason. You wipe it clean, clean slate, all that. But you are straight up lying to me if you knew that this was going to be the result of the series. In one of the three games, the Dodgers getting absolutely embarrassed in their own stadium right off the bat against Clayton Kershaw, who I know has a bad reputation in the playoffs, but come on, that bad right away? And then a sweep happening? Again, I'd need some type of evidence that isn't that, that is in fact what you predicted, if you did. Otherwise, I'm just calling BS up and down. You could have had the Diamondbacks winning the series. Yeah, even that's a stretch. But I do know some people out there do acknowledge, like myself, yeah, nothing's impossible in the playoffs, but come on, come on. <laughs> A sweep? Madness. And no, I didn't have the Dodgers going all the way. In fact, I did have them choking again, but not in this round. Not in this round. I had them going to the LCS against the Braves and losing to them, and then I had the Braves going all the way. Which is another wrong prediction, by the way. Speaking of the other series, the Phillies and the Braves. How about we talk about that for a second before we get to our Yankees? I think we found a good source of kryptonite for the playoffs between two teams. You know what? That's the dynamic in the playoffs sometimes, guys. And I do see some people saying these things on Twitter. And you know what? It's hard to disagree. Because sometimes in the playoffs, you just have teams that either own other teams or themselves get owned by other teams. It's just the way it happens. And it does appear that as of the last handful of years, especially the last couple in particular, The Phillies do act as kryptonite with the Braves because the Braves have no answers for them in the playoffs. This was a team that I had going all the way this year, not just because they were the best team in baseball, which they were with 104 wins, but just the way they looked. 
their roster, their overall semblance. I mean, it's it's crazy. I had the Phillies putting up a bit of a fight. I had Atlanta winning in probably like four, maybe, maybe five. But I said maybe even four. Because I definitely saw the Phillies winning at least a game. I didn't have the Phillies going down, getting swept or put not even putting up a fight. I definitely had them showing some fight. For sure, putting up at least one win in the series. But they really, they took care of the Braves, man. The only game that the Braves did pull out was Game 2, which they just won by the grace of God by an unbelievable late-game comeback. But other than that, the Phillies controlled this series, bro. Completely. First game, Rangers Suarez and the Phillies bullpen holding the Braves to five hits, not allowing one run. Phillies only having to put up three in Atlanta, grabbing Game 1 that convincingly. A shock in itself there. Game two again, that's when the Braves had their awesome late game comeback. Scored two in the seventh, scored two in the eighth, after also scoring one in the sixth inning prior to that. So, the Phillies up 4 nothing prior, looking to again get an easy victory in Atlanta. At least the Braves had the guts and the heart to come back with an unbelievable late game win here. And it was just thanks to... A lot of home run hitting, which is really a big thing in the playoffs, as we know. But Travis Darno bringing the game within one. And then Austin Riley putting them ahead with another two-run shot. So two-run shot by Darno in the seventh. Two-run shot by Riley in the eighth. Before you know it, they have the lead after putting up their one run on an Ozzy Albies RBI single in the bottom of the sixth. And then they would hold it down in the ninth inning to barely come away with the win and even the series at one. And now heading over to Philadelphia... I wanted to see how the Braves would play away from home now because maybe they just, I don't know, felt pressure in front of their fans. Some teams just don't show up when they're at home. I don't know. (laughs) And obviously you have all the talk about people wanting to change the playoff roster because I did bring this up again last week as well about some people being annoyed about how much rest time there was between the last game of the season and how long some of the division winners had to wait before starting the DSs because they had to see where their opponents were after the wildcard series. So they had to wait for that to wrap up. And when all was said and done, they didn't play their first games until about six or seven days after the regular season ended. So there's that long layover there. Do they get rusty? I mean, certain other teams don't seem to be affected by this, really. I mean, it's just a matter of, I don't know, staying focused, practicing every day, doing what you got to do to keep your head in the game. But I don't know. I mean, we have seen that discussed quite a bit in the past. So I guess it could be a factor. But, I mean, if you're really in it to win it and it's your championship to win, I mean, I would think you do whatever it takes. <laughs> like, and you just don't even care about the fact that you just had six days off. Use that as a time to rest because you just played six months worth of baseball, give or take, including spring training. Even though it's much less vigorous and you get a lot more time off, you don't play the entirety of the games most of the time. But you get it. You just played a lot of games for a lot of months in a row is my point. So take that time to rest up a bit, keep your head in the game, be out there practicing every single day. I know it's not the same as being in-game, but be out there every day and practice and be ready for the big moment when you have to step on the field and perform. I don't know. I don't like excuse making. I don't. I never have been one to make excuses with that or too much of anything in life. I'm typically very self-accountable and own up to my mess-ups. That's just the kind of person I am, so I don't really care to hear excuses like this but I mean whatever it was the Braves just didn't come to play guys at all they go to Philadelphia they lose game three 10 to two 
10 to 2. And again, this one, I mean, the Braves got on the scoreboard first in the third inning, which I was like, all right, you know, maybe they're going to make a statement. They're getting out in front first, maybe catch the Phillies off guard a bit. Ozzy Albies, RBI single. But, but then, I mean, the Phillies in the bottom half of that same inning, a sixth spot, and you just felt like the game was already over by then. Nick Castellanos, who really had himself a hell of a series, especially in Philadelphia. Four home runs in games three and four combined. Crazy. This was the first of them. Solo shot, then Bryce Harper, who had himself a hell of a night in game three. Three-run shot to put them ahead four to one. JT Real Muto. Two-run double, 6-1. to one. And they weren't done yet. They just kept on piling on. The Braves only put on one more run in the 6th. But another run in the 5th for the Phillies. Another in the 6th. Two more in the 8th. My God. A murder in Game 3. And then Game 4, which is the last time we've seen any postseason action before the American League Championship Series begins today. You had the Braves again. Just mostly quiet. They did again go ahead on the scoreboard first in the top of the fourth inning over the Phillies when Austin Riley went deep. Nice solo shot for him. But then again, the Phillies just were not taking it sitting down at any point in this series. They again answered back in the bottom half of the inning. Nick Castellanos with his third home run in the last couple of days because <laughs> he hit two in game three, just like Harper did, as we know. And as I said earlier, he still wasn't done then because after Trey Turner hit a solo shot of his own in the bottom of the fifth, a nice shot to the left, might I add, Nick Castellanos would hit his fourth in the bottom of the sixth, another solo shot to make it 3-1, to one, and the Braves went down without a fight. Again, another night in which they just had five hits. So the Phillies completely packed the Braves up. And again, other than a late-game comeback, which they do deserve credit for, of course, Other than a late-game comeback, the Phillies chewed them up and spit them out in this series. They controlled this series. Crazy. Three out of the four games, and even for most of the game in the one that they still lost, talking about the Phillies, they had complete control. For the whole series, maybe except for about three innings. Really crazy when you think about it. The Braves did not go out there like a team that won 104 games in the regular season. Again, another example of, you can't predict this crap. You just can't. Unbelievable. So now after all is said and done, 104 win Braves, gone. 100 win Dodgers, done. 101 win Orioles, done. As usual, 87-win fraudulent Minnesota Twinks. Done. Now, standing and remaining, the last four teams in baseball. Three out of four of them are wildcard teams. As a matter of fact, you could argue that all four are wildcard teams in a sense. I'll explain that in a second. The only ones that remain in the American League, which is why I was, I just wanted the Astros to win the Twins round after the way that the Rangers and the Orioles series went for only one reason. I don't wish the Astros really any success. And now I want them to lose. But the only reason I want them to make it past the Twins, especially after the Rangers officially beat the Orioles, was because I wanted to see American League chaos with two Texas teams, two teams in the same state, fighting for a pennant. I just want to thrive in that chaos. And listen to the absolute craziness 
during the games in both ballparks. So now that I'm getting that, I am amped and I'm rooting for the Rangers completely, of course. It'd be their first time back in the World Series since 2011 when they faced the Cardinals there. So... Yeah, those two standing still, Astros and Rangers, not a surprise to see the Astros there, even, again, if they're not the same team this year as they were prior, still not a surprise. And then in the National League, yet again for another year, two completely unexpected teams. Some people may have expected the Phillies, because they do have a lot of terrific assets on their team, of course, but to make it past the Braves that convincingly, just crazy. That's why you just have to imagine they must be their postseason kryptonite. Because, of course, during the regular season, the Braves were much better. But again, two mostly unexpected teams, especially in the case of Arizona, in the National League, the Diamondbacks and the Phillies playing for the National League pennant. Can the Phillies make it back to the World Series for the second year in a row? Obviously, last year, they lost to the Astros. If the Astros win again and the Phillies make it past the Diamondbacks, which I'm expecting them to do, but again, with what the Diamondbacks did to the Dodgers, despite their choking reputation... You can't even count them out completely either, along with the fact it's just mostly impossible to predict this crap. But if the Phillies make it past the Diamondbacks, you've got yourself a World Series rematch from last year, which how often does that happen? I mean, not to mention, you don't even really get many rematches in the World Series the next year at all, let alone any repeats. The last repeat at all was the Yankees' three-peat from 98 to 2000. Nobody has even repeated, so it's also rare to even get a World Series direct rematch the very next year, but we could be on that path. Phillies and Astros last year could be Phillies and Astros again this year, but I cannot wait to see how these two series go. Again, game one of either of the CSs begins tonight at 8.15 Eastern. Rangers and Astros, and they both play tomorrow. Both of them will play Rangers and Astros game two, Diamondbacks and Phillies game one, and so on and so forth. By the time we speak again in two Sundays, the World Series should be going on. There's not set to be a game that day. By then, we'll be in between games two and three, so there's no shot the series will be over by then yet. But I am glad that at least the next time we do talk, if I'm taking a week off here, which I have to next week, as we know, I am glad that the next time I speak to you, baseball will not be over and that we will still be talking during baseball happening by the next time we speak. I am happy about that. So the World Series will be going on by then. We'll have both CS series to recap just briefly. But my God, how this turned out, guys. Unbelievable. What action we have coming up. The Phillies making a fight unbelievably to get past the 104-win Braves. And the Diamondbacks just shocking the Dodgers. Shocking them and all of us. Absolutely crazy when you look at it. Like I said, three wild card teams and almost four, like I said before. And the reason why I said it, and I would explain that in a second, and I'll explain it now, is because, if you think about it, the Rangers and the Astros... They both finished with the exact same amount of wins, and they finished in a tie, pretty much, in the American League West for first place. With only, of course, their head-to-head matchups deciding who got to win first place. And that ended up being the Astros. But they did finish in a gridlock after 162 record-wise, 90-72. and So, even though the head-to-head matchups obviously gives the Astros first place... Dead set record-wise, they're the same thing. 
and the Rangers were forced to settle with the second wild card. So technically, and I know it's not really the case because the head-to-head matchups gives the Astros the edge, just talking record-wise, they're sort of like a wild card team too. <laughs> because there wasn't a definitive division winner, wins and loss-wise, overall on the season. So if you want to look at it like that, there's really like no definitive big-time division-winning teams left anymore. All the 100 winners are gone, wiped out in the first round. And now not a single team remaining in the playoffs had over 90 wins in the regular season. This postseason has been crazy. A lot of fun so far. I'm enjoying it, and I hope you are too. But that's how it's turned out so far, guys. I mean, again, one for four, basically, out of the series. I batted 250 with my LDS series predictions. Not too great, not awful either. It's better than getting none right, I guess. But I guess I'll give my predictions for this. Rangers, Astros... It's actually interesting because the Astros, obviously they have home field. Barely finishing better than the Rangers by the skin of their teeth just coming down to head-to-head matchups in the regular season. So they have home field. So if the series does go all seven, then believe it or not, it's kind of the reversal with the Astros because in 2023, again, bafflingly so, uh, the Astros have been uncharacteristically awful at Minute Maid Park. So if it does go all seven and four of the seven are played in Houston, you would think that'd be home field for the Astros and it'd be good for them. But it actually might turn out to be bad for them and work out for the Rangers. If less games are played and it's about even, same amount of games in each one, then it's a coin flip. But then again, at the end of the day, it's going to be a coin flip either way because both are Texas teams and both fans, because of that, since they're in the same state, are probably going to travel to the other very well. And it's probably going to be split stadiums either way. So this is an entire moot point to begin with when you think about it. But this is a tough one, man. I don't know. I'm going to say the Rangers win the series. I'm going to say Rangers in six. I'm torn between Rangers in six and seven. And no, I did not come into this segment with, as I'm sure you could tell by the way I'm talking, with my predictions already mapped out. Just deciding this right on the spot. I'm going to say the Rangers in six, more so than seven, but I wouldn't be surprised if it takes seven games. I'm going to say Rangers in six. The Phillies, I'm, I'm torn between the Phillies in five or six. I don't want to completely discount the Diamondbacks because they really did surprise me that much in the first series, despite the Dodgers having their choking reputation, but still it was surprising nonetheless, you have to admit that, at the degree in which it happened. But I still can't discount the Diamondbacks because of that. So I guess, just to be extra safe, I'll say Phillies in six as well. So I'll have both rounds ending in game six. But I'll say I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies do wrap it up in five. I'm just giving the Diamondbacks an extra game as my official, official prediction. Not just my partial prediction, but official prediction that I'm sticking with officially. Because of the respect I gained for them after the way they manhandled the Dodgers. So, I'll give them six. So, Rangers in six and Phillies in six. Those are my two predictions on both sides, I guess. 
That'll be the official one I give. So that's the playoff update, guys. Probably a bit longer spent on it than I wanted to, but it's been that crazy. So I just get into talking about it. I can't really help it. What can I say? But let's get to the main reason why we're here, of course, and that is our New York Yankees. I was going to say beloved, but for some of us, especially after this year, not so beloved. (laughs) I mean, yes, we all do love them. At least I do. Love the Yankees to no end, and that'll never change, obviously. But just when it comes to 2023 in particular, not very beloved these days. That'll come back when baseball resumes again next year and we're ready for a clean slate. At least that's how it usually is for me. Can't speak for everybody. But if you will take a quick gander at the episode title in case you haven't already, the reason why it is that is because while the discussion that we were discussing last week is basically what's continued into this week because nothing's really happened yet. Obviously, while it's the offseason for the Yankees, it's not really the offseason for others because baseball is still ongoing for a few other teams. But the same discussion that we had last week is really ongoing because not much has happened yet. Not much will really happen, if I have to say, at least not before the World Series ends. So while we have the time to talk about it and hypothesize and brainstorm and anticipate the ideas of what the Yankees can, should, and possibly even will do or change about the team, once it actually comes time to address said potential changes, that's really what's going on throughout the Yankee community. A lot of people are just talking about what they can, should, and possibly will do to improve this team for 2024 and beyond. So that discussion is ongoing into this past week. And the reason why I titled the episode what I did is basically as a continuation of what I was saying last week about when you hear the Yankees talk about all the things they would like to address or maybe even have addressed, which I'll get to in a second because that's what we're really going to talk about today. But of all the things that they address and all the things that they, they bring up and all the things that they say that they would like to change, There's one thing that we've learned when it comes to the Yankees as their fans, especially in the last couple of years, and that is to wait to see it in order to believe it. To actually wait for the change to take place rather than having blind faith in an organization that doesn't deserve any because of their action or lack thereof these last couple of years. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to a reference in this arena, a lot of people, including myself, like to mention just last winter when after they signed Carlos Rodon and they got Judge back and they signed Rizzo back and did everything there, what was the first thing that Hal Steinbrenner and many others within the Yankees organization said to the media, the public, the fans, the whole nine yards? They said, we're not done yet. Spoiler alert, they were. (laughs) I mean, it's really as simple as that. Talking about all the things they would like to do around the trade deadline when the team was clearly in absolute need for any sort of improvement they could get. Damn near next to absolutely nothing took place. Just a lot of times where the Yankees talk a big game and do not deliver. Whether it be on the spot, it's obvious that they didn't deliver by quite frankly doing absolutely nothing, or by doing something and having it turn out horribly wrong. Take your pick. It's happened multiple times. Both have in the last couple of years at least. So, we arrive at the mindset, I'm going to wait to see it actually happen before I believe it. Or, as the title says, talk is cheap. 
Got to see it actually happen because talk is cheap. And that's what I direct to the Yankees organization, whether it be at the very bottom or someone at the very top like Hal Steinbrenner, who did speak at Sportico's Invest in Sports conference. And it was reported on the things that he said, the Associated Press reported on it, and ESPN reported on it. Hal Steinbrenner went in on what the Yankees had apparently done in the earlier part of this past week. It was said that the Yankees had meetings that spanned for about three days. And in those three days of meetings, the organization basically convened a lot of people in the front office, towards the top, and even towards the bottom, maybe some coaches, Personnel from different areas of the organization, it sounded like. That was the basically the general consensus, I imagine. And it just basically sounds like they picked apart a lot of what potentially went wrong with the team, tried to find where the problems of the team lied, as if they didn't shout into their faces loudly enough all throughout, and basically were just open to any sort of criticism and different thought processes amongst their peers. I mean, that's what it really sounds like it was, just an exchange of ideas, more or less, and it spanned for days. Hal Steinbrenner actually elaborated on it, and there was a clip that was going around Twitter of him actually speaking that I grabbed, so credit to whoever it was that took this video. I'm not going to claim it as my own, obviously, because it was not, and I would not do that. But I wanted to play it for you on the show. I know that playing the Judge clip a couple of weeks ago is a big hit with some people. I want to try to incorporate some more clips on this show whenever I can in order to add a more exciting element to the show, obviously. People like to hear from the people themselves who are actually doing the jobs and like to hear of these quotes that I give away on the show a lot of the time. Actually hear them say it. I don't know. It just adds a good element to the show. So whenever I have time, I like to gather these clips. Now, I'm going to play the Hal Steinbrenner one for you right now. Just him talking about really what took place in these meetings that spanned for about three days. So I'm not going to speak for the guy, even though I very well could. Why don't you listen for yourself to this clip of Hal Steinbrenner talking about these meetings, and then we'll dissect it a little bit after it's done, hit on some of the points he made, and try not to lose too many brain cells in the process. But... You may hear that the audio isn't necessarily the best. That's because it seemed like someone took it with their cell phone in a big room, so it sounded pretty echoey and unclear at times. But we'll talk about it after the fact anyway, so that doesn't really matter. So here's Yankee owner Hal Steinbrenner talking about these meetings that spanned for three days, apparently, with a number of different people within the Yankees organization. Check your and be prepared to be and a lot of that happened. You know, I think at times we got in the place. And there was a long stone we left from there, from both of the team, both of the room, the clubhouse, the last culture, the people in the living room, analysts, first scouting, island camps, is there enough communication between everybody? So it was a great three days. It was a very honest conversation. Many more to come, and much to come. But uh, we're going to be making some changes, and it's going to be more solid than ever. But uh, I think we're going to cover certain things that we Certain things you can do better. I think we've uncovered certain things that we can do better. That's what he said at the end there. I mean, certain things, where do you even begin? That's such a remarkably vague statement. They checked their egos at the door and were told to be prepared to be critiqued. Got a little dicey, but it was respectful. Talked about health what's being done in the clubhouse, the clubhouse culture, the weight room, analytics, pro scouting, biomechanics, communication. 
And then at one point he was talking about personnel, but not necessarily personnel. I mean, there's a particular quote that he said outside of this particular clip when talking about the changes that could be made, quote, possibly personnel, but not necessarily personnel. It could be practices, end quote. So possibly personnel, but not necessarily personnel. Anybody else out there feel their IQ decreasing in real time, just listening to him or the reading of his quotes? Does he even know anything? Does he even know where to begin? I mean, again, and that's aside from the blatant lies he's already told when it comes to the organization making potential change. I don't know. So all those things tackled. Health, what's being done in the clubhouse, clubhouse culture. I mean, you heard about Judge talking about the lack of urgency. And so maybe that's part of the clubhouse culture. Being nonchalant, complacent, the word that I used before. Maybe a bit of all that, so... Got to address that. The clubhouse itself. I mean, I guess it has to do with the cu- as a result of the culture. The weight room, yeah. I mean, we all know that that could do a number on their bodies and therefore have an effect on injuries, perhaps. Analytics, we've spoken about that and how much of an overhaul that department could use. Scouting. Biomechanics, communication. I definitely think the communication in this organization needs work because... They seem to pride themselves on communication, especially their communication to the public, but they just usually come off sounding like they are just denying reality and have no clue of what they speak. So, yeah, I would agree that communication could definitely be improved for sure. Just the way they execute really everything from top to bottom. That includes how the players do on the field. We've been talking about how many internal issues the Yankees have that need to be addressed. We've spoken about that forever. But also a part of the blame, like I've also said, has to go to the ones who are actually on the field because they need to be blamed as well. But it definitely needs to be addressed in the front office as well, the changes that are needed there. Because, I mean, part of the reason that is because of the way the team has been assembled here. So there's plenty of blame to go around, as we've spoken about, all around. But as the title says, and as I've been saying for weeks, guys, talk is cheap. I'll believe it when I see it, bud. That's what I tell Hal Steinbrenner, pretty much. Because again, same guy, we're not done. Or we're going to be looking to make changes here and there, and possibly there and here, and you see just little to nothing done. Most years, the Yankees just continue to run back a lot of what we've already seen. So it just becomes a case of we'll believe it when we see it. That's at least the stance I've taken. And it continues here because you could just continue to babble on and on as much as you want, Hal. And like you've instructed all people underneath you to do the same. It doesn't make a difference. There are people who have adjusted to this and have now learned to do better than to just take you guys at your word, which has been faulty at best a lot of the time. 
Yeah, I don't deny that these meetings took place or that they have to happen. There is a great deal of discussion that needs to happen within this Yankees organization after the money and resources that that they apparently pool into this and should additionally pool into this and yet still coming out their worst season in over 30 years. There definitely needs to be a vast amount of discussion that takes place all off-season long, and I don't deny that those three days happened. But there are plenty of us out here who now do better than to take them at their word. A lot of these words that come out of their mouths are just that, words. They're hollow and pointless until something is actually done in reality. And we've already gotten word that a lot of, like we spoke about, a lot of the coaching staff going to be ran back. You highly doubt Brian Cashman goes anywhere and thereby Cashman staying. You really doubt that anyone significant around him really goes much of anywhere, I'll be surprised. Maybe one person at the most, but the Yankees are not ones to do any sort of front office major overhauling for these last few years now. Bunch of years. They're not ones to do that. So if all we're going to do here is just have open discussions but not really change anything, not bring anyone new and fresh with a fresh perspective and mindset in here to change the way of thinking, to add to the brainstorming, to bring new possibilities about. If we're not doing this and we're just having open dialogue about more of the same crap and we're running back the same staff, you're not going to see much of anything different, which again is the habit that the Yankees have exhibited for a bunch of years now. Again, talk is cheap. Gotta see actual change happening. And maybe even get some word, not too much, because of course, I know you can't spill all the secrets to the public, obviously. It's not good when it comes to playing opponents next year. You don't want the other team knowing your entire playbook. But showing people that there are actually different people involved, proving that other individuals are contributing to the brain trust here, that other people are offering other ideas to change things, because I really doubt that if it's exactly the same group of people in the same room every year, do you really think there are many different ideas being offered up? It's probably more of the same. So, if you see that most of the staff is remaining the same in the front office, in the coaching staff, in the health and performance staff, If that's staying the same, and you get a lot of what we've seen on the field, then please tell me what we expect to change for next year and the years to come. The answer is, not much. I know it's early, and we're chomping at the bit right off the bat here, but, I mean, we're upset. We want to see something different for 2024, and we're ready to see change, any change we could get our hands on as soon as possible when it comes to the Yankees as fans who just had to witness the 2023 season. So yeah, we're going to start talking about it right away, even if things really are not expected to happen until after the World Series is done, which is still more than two weeks away. So yeah, there's a lot of time to talk about it, and yeah, we're probably not going to see any anytime soon, so this discussion really could be pointless, at least for another few weeks. But it's discussion that needs to happen, because we've been looking to it for months now, since it was beyond apparent that the Yankees were not making the playoffs at all, which to me it was apparent in the first or second week of August. 
And now that it is officially the Yankees offseason, this is the time to at least start talking about it. But the main general consensus here is still a continuation of last week while we're caught in this in-between between the Yankees season ending and the World Series ending to where things really start to pick up truly in the winter when nobody's playing anymore. And that's the fact that whenever we hear anyone within the Yankees organization talking, whether it's Cashman, Boone, Hal, someone on the coaching staff, someone on the health and performance staff, someone else within the front office or in the analytics department, which those guys are usually pretty silent. But regardless of who it is, we don't really care. We want to see the action. Actions speak louder than words. Talk is cheap. Again, we arrive back at that point because it's the truth. And truth be told, Hal Steinbrenner doesn't know what end is up. The only thing that he truly cares about is profit, keeping the Yankees organization and the Steinbrenner family as rich and profitable as possible, filling the ballpark up, making money on merch, TV deals, advertising, parking, chicken buckets or overpriced beer, anything you could think of for the Yankees to make money on, and making it to the playoffs making it to the World Series, which they haven't done in nearly a decade and a half now, and even winning the World Series, yeah, that gets you more money, of course, but all of that is just icing on the cake for Hal. Those are bonuses, not priorities. There's a big difference. Fine line between priority and bonus. You see? That's why they have these meetings and they throw around these ideas about what the problems could potentially be, because Hal has no clue And neither do most people directly underneath him, which is, again, really sad considering all the money that the Yankees do have and should utilize and thereby also all the resources they have at their disposal. So these words are hollow to me until something's actually done. All these things that they apparently went through and three days of critique-filled discussion to where it apparently got pretty dicey at times it damn well better have because that's what this season was to be kind dicey but was also apparently respectful of course you gotta be respectful of course (laughs) I don't know guys I'm just tired of hearing these guys with the same monotone corporate voice trying to sound like they give a single crap to the public I'm just tired of hearing it. I actually want to see and hear about legitimate change and legitimate modifications to the organization and its personnel where it matters and where they seem to be flawed. That's all I care about. Analytics. Hitting. Front office responsible for the construction of the team itself. All of these realms that need addressing. Even the health and player performance. Because Lord only knows that one of the biggest problems facing the Yankees for years on end now, some may even argue the biggest, injuries. Nobody on this team, if their lives depended on it, could play a full season healthy most of the time. It is a dire problem. Not an excuse. It's a problem. I refuse to use it as an excuse. It's a big freaking problem the Yankees have to find an answer to. And you'll just have to excuse me if I don't trust these corporate boneheads to figure it out. I hope they do, and I hope they make these necessary changes immediately as soon as they can. Because it's what this organization needs. 
Can you imagine the type of message it would send to everyone, even within the organization, if they at least mostly still ran back almost the same team again, even after the season we have just witnessed? It would be incomprehensible. It would literally spell that they could not care less about winning. The ones at the head of the New York Yankees organization. It's a shame. So all we can do is hope that when the time does come for the actual change to be made, we'll see it. But of course, even if that time is to come, you always got to start somewhere. There's always got to be a first step, a foundation to your aspirations for change. So a first step and you go from there. Which we're obviously yet to see that first step because the playoffs are still going on and therefore baseball is still ongoing. So you'll probably see this change begin, if there is to be any, following the conclusion of the World Series, if I had to say. I mean, the sooner the better. I'm just telling you what's most likely. But regardless, you've always got to start somewhere. And starting this week and going forward, that's what we're going to tackle. Position by position. Even level by level within the organization as much as possible throughout the winter as the change will hopefully be made as the weeks continue. So we've got to have a starting point here in the second off-season episode of the 2023 off-season after gaining our footing last week. We've got to start somewhere. And with that fact in mind, my good people, that is another perfect transition into the social media segment, which is another open-ended question this week about potential change that could be on the horizon for the Yankees. We have to start somewhere. So the question with that in mind is what is the very first change that you'd like to personally see, you personally, see the Yankees make? Personally, my very first is one that has 0% chance of happening. But I'll still say it anyway and then mention the first one that I think might actually happen in reality, if any is to take place. Personally, I don't think the Yankees have the guts to make much change, maybe one, if that. And they'll say, oh, we're not done yet, and then just choose to fail and have deals and potential trades continuously fall through because of their faulty decision-making. But the first one that I would like to see happen, as I've been on this train for at least two to three years now, as we know, is getting rid of Brian Cashman and having someone else man the GM position. This is not going to happen. I'm well aware of this. So if you scratch that away, because I truly think that's the only and biggest way that you change this organization and its mindset and how they go about everything, I move to the field itself, to the players. The first thing that I'd personally like to see addressed, especially because of how much peril it is in going into 2024, is the outfield. Center field in particularly. Now, if... Stanton plays and actually remains healthy, which would be amazing, as long as he's hitting, of course, because for much of the second half of this year, he was healthy and just did not do anything, so he's got to hit as well. Otherwise, you got even more decisions to make. But, regardless, you could have Stanton play right, Judge play center, and then whoever you'd like to play left, Everson Pereira, Oswaldo Cabrera at least. But, you could also go out and make external changes to the lineup, which is something that they did not do last offseason, even though they desperately needed to do so. They claimed that they changed the team from top to bottom by bringing back Judge and bringing back Rizzo, even though those were bringing back guys, not any additions 
that otherwise were not there prior, and they also added to the starting rotation by signing Rodon. Yes, they called up Volpe. Yes, they got guys like DJ back from injury. Those are not external, new, fresh additions. Like they tried to sell, they were. Again, hollow words. Those of us who have learned to see through the crap that they spew. So, they actually need to make external improvements improvements this time. Especially given the fact that also, you think about Bader not being here anymore, so you don't have him for center field. Jason Dominguez, because of his Tommy John surgery, we are hearing that he is going to miss time until at least June or July or so. So that is a chunk of the season in which you are in need of a center fielder. Another outfielder on top of still needing a definitive left fielder if it's not going to be Cabrera or Pereira, at least for the time being to start the year. So you need to make an improvement. You cannot have, and I am down from getting an opportunity. I am. But I'm not down for the Yankees not making any external additions and having to have someone like Cabrera or Pereira out and left, and then having to have your opening day center fielder be Estevan Florial. Again, I said last week, and it's not because I have anything against Estevan Florial, because I don't, but imagine the message it sends to everybody. If you make no improvements to the outfield whatsoever, you still have Pereira or Cabrera manning left field, and you have Estevan Florial in center field, who they obviously had to leave off 2023 with because of Jason Dominguez's injury and not really having much of anybody else to man center field on on a consistent basis. But can you imagine the message it sends if you still have Floreal opening day center field, a man who at one point in 2023 was DFA'd and eventually brought back because nobody else would take him. And you were forced to end the season with him when you basically had no other choice. And you're opening 2024 with him in center field, despite the abysmal 2023. And you've made virtually no other improvements otherwise, despite the travesty that was the prior season. Could you imagine the message it sends? A brutal one, you would be correct. So, they need to get a center fielder or a left fielder, just an outfielder, period. Because they do have guys who could help man it out there. You could throw Cabrera out there, even though it's not his primary position, but he has proven to be a very useful, versatile player, especially if he hits, because he ended the season very well hitting. We know how brutal he was to start 2023, despite how promising he looked in 22. But would you be comfortable with him regularly manning an outfield position again? Well, that's up to you. But... Would you also feel comfortable starting the season throwing Everson Pereira out there on a regular basis? Or do you think he should have some more time to cook in the minors? I guess that's up to preference as well. I personally would rather a proven asset out there. You make a move for someone like a Soto or a Bellinger. Now, do the Yankees have the guts to put together a proper trade package to legitimately acquire a Juan Soto? That's another story. And would it make more sense to wait for him at the deadline? Because depending on certain factors, if you wait, you could possibly get them for a better deal, a better package. I mean, there are a lot of factors that go into it, of course. A lot. And you could, of course, sign him long-term after either of those instances happen in the event that they do. But in Juan Soto, obviously, you'd be adding an effective lefty back. Granted, his bat isn't what it was a couple of years ago, but it's still Juan freaking Soto. Has his plenty of benefits. And obviously, you got a lot of years there. He's still a young kid, man. Still a young kid. 
and he helped carry a 2019 Nationals team to a world championship in his late teens into 20 years old. He was a baby. So he's got big stage experience. There's a lot of value there, man. You go after him if you get the right package assembled. We could talk about the right package going forward once we get back to the outfield, once we circle around each and every position with the Yankees throughout this offseason. But Juan Soto, Cody Bellinger, even though I'd be more willing to go after Juan Soto because, yes, he's younger, but also because Bellinger, and I said this last week, but Bellinger has potential nightmare written all over him for me, unfortunately, because people are quick to forget because he had a good 2023, which I'm not taking away from him at all. He deserves any and all credit for it. But people forget that for the better part of three plus years prior to 2023, Cody Bellinger was one of the worst hitters in all of baseball. He was abysmal. A nightmare, a chore to watch. This year he bounces back. But is it a guarantee or are people comfortable enough to sign him to a bigger contract going forward just because he had a bounce back year this year? Because at the end of the day, he could very well end up going back to what we saw for the vast majority of 2020, 2021, and 2022. An absolute nightmare. And you'd be paying him a boatload to do it. So are you very comfortable with that? I would personally be more comfortable with bringing on Juan Soto through a trade, personally. Both are solid outfielders. Both are left-handed hitters. Juan Soto does have age on his side. And you have other names being thrown about out there like Dylan Carlson or Kevin Kiermeyer. I would personally much rather either of the former two, even if Bellinger scares me a little bit because of the risk there, because of how he was the prior three seasons prior to 2023. But either of the first two, in my opinion, are better than the latter two. Because Dylan Carlson, I am not up for another reclamation project or because there are some positives here and there that could be unlocked. No! I've had enough of hearing that crap, and I'm done being spoon-fed that garbage. If you could get Juan Soto, you go out and get Juan freaking Soto. Kevin Kiermaier is not a brutal option, obviously. He still has a lot of speed. He could put the bat on the ball, even if his offense has declined in recent years. Phenomenal range in the outfield. Yeah, he has his pluses. He's a left-handed hitter. But you need a lot more offense than that. A lot more offense. The Yankees' biggest issue was the fact that the bats did not perform for the vast majority of 2023. And you saw them go out in the same fashion to wrap up 2022. You need offense. And bats that will give it to you. Frequently. Not hitters who have potential and hidden abilities that could be unlocked with the right coaching and all that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You go for the experience. You go for the efficiency. You go for the best one who right now offers you the best chance to contribute regularly. So the outfield is definitely, if you're not going to address something in the front office, Brian Cashman in particular, for me personally, very first change I'd like to see them address is the outfield at any capacity. Get the outfield in good shape. Even if you get Juan Soto and you eventually put him in left field for when Dominguez comes back and you figure something out in center for the time being, 
Maybe you put Oswaldo and Wright. Or if Stanton could stand it and decides to hit better than 190, have him in the lineup in right field, put Judge in center for the time being until Dominguez gets back, see what you got with him. I hate that you have to do a lot of see what you got, but that's the position the Yankees constantly seem to put themselves in, unfortunately. But either way, you have got to acquire someone from outside the organization, an effective outfielder, to help soften the blow of Dominguez going down and not really having many other better options out there as of now. Outside of Aaron Judge, anything goes in the outfield, really. It's a bunch of question marks. So... That, to me, is the first point that needs addressing. Obviously, I've spoken about the rotation as well, but I'm just talking about the very first thing in this case, so I'll stick to that. What I just said with the outfield, and we'll get to, of course, the starting rotation again as we circle around to each aspect of the team as the offseason goes on. Let's hear some of your replies. Let's hear some thoughts throughout the Yankee community before we wrap up episode 199. First up... We've got at Michael Freda 17 saying, I try to find a right package to bring Juan Soto in to solidify left field. He will be 25 years old this month, so the Yankees could also plan on signing him long term as some exciting salaries coming off the books. Exciting salaries? I think you might have mistyped there, my friend. But yeah, listen, first comment, outfield, Juan Soto. I agree. Juan Soto is probably going to be put in left field anyway, but yeah, whether it be center, left, I don't care. Just you need... You need to solidify the outfield. You need to soften the blow of not having really anybody truly efficient and really reliable out there other than Aaron Judge. It's tough. All the aspects you said, age being on his side, potential to sign him long term. You must you must have read my mind, brother. At RMNY1976 says, fire Fishman and revamp the analytics department. That's something we've mentioned, analytics, for sure. Not get rid of them, but revamp it and change the way that they do things and the way that they utilize them and the way that they execute them. Because that really is a big difference between them and other organizations. People say get rid of them, but a lot of the teams out there who see great success, I mean, they utilize them a great deal. They just use them correctly, whereas the Yankees don't. (laughs) It's that simple. So... I'm in agreement there, other than my first priority that'll never happen, Brian Cashman going. I guess Fishman is definitely more likely than Cashman going, so that's a good point. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, I feel very strongly that the Yankees need a left-handed, impactful hitter. The offense was too sluggish this season. Bring me Soto. It has to happen. Another Soto advocate. I like it. But yeah, mentioning the offense, that was the biggest problem on the field. Definitely was. It was the way 2022 ended, and it was what we saw throughout the vast majority of 2023. They just didn't hit. Nothing happened. <laughs> Nothing. At Baseball Tzar says, OBP 27th, hits 29th, strikeouts 21st. Can't win anything that way. Well, I guess you're saying the first thing you want to see addressed is the offense then, because yes, like I've mentioned for weeks on end, so many offensive categories, even just beyond these three that you mentioned, Yankees near the bottom of the league if they're not at the actual bottom in certain others. That's the way that it's been, and that's why the offense was as brutal as it was, and that's why they won as little games as they did. As few games. Only 82. You're not going to get much of anything done if you're damn near very bottom of the league and even getting on base. 
that's most a part of what baseball's all about, guys. <laughs> uh, so it's a good point. At Sarah Jane underscore 99 says, replace Brian Cashman. That's my first one. Unfortunately, it's never going to happen. It's just, it's just not. But it's a, it's a point that you could mention. I mentioned it. But you could also mention how little of a chance it is of actually happening. And that would be valid. I'd be completely shocked speechless if they did that. At Laura underscore I smiled. Actually hung out with Laura yesterday. Good to see you, Laura. I do know some of my fantastic followers in real life. I'm very privileged to be able to do that. Some of you guys are awesome out there. I love you guys. And Laura's one of those great ones that I've gotten to meet. Laura says, restructure and change the front office. A good chunk of the Yankees' problems run deeper than the players and Boone. Of course, listen, those are parts of the problem. Especially the players, for sure. But you also got to point some blame at the people who are responsible for assembling the team itself. You're absolutely right. Starts with Cashman, and then it just trickles on down to his brain trust and all the people underneath. That's how it works. At Evelyn42 says, Clean house and conditioning and bring in new staff. There are way too many injuries, and the Rizzo miss was unforgivable. Meaning how much the Tatis Jr. impact really impacted him. Putting up his worst numbers in his entire career in the span between that collision and when they finally decided that the symptoms from that, concussion symptoms, were affecting his gameplay. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look at all, and we spoke about it for a long time. But yeah, conditioning, health and player performance, eyes turned to Eric Cressy and all the people around him. Not good looks for all of them. I would hope that that's where a lot of the discussion was in these meetings that supposedly took place at the start of this past week. I would hope so. Up next is Spencer at Musician DMD saying the first change they have to address centers on the anemic hitting from the bottom of the order of which there's no singular solution. Like most Yankee fans, in my opinion, they have to askew what the analytics dictate. Launch angle, exit velocity, contact rate, and work in a way where they're not trying to win games by making every batter a home run hitter. There's a slew of things they need to do, but I think it starts with instituting unambiguous change with the relationship between the analytics and the batters. Well, yeah, that's basically just how they execute and utilize their analytics. We've all talked about how that needs change, of course. And listen, yeah, I think like launch angle and exit velocity, I mean, yeah, you got to hit the ball hard for things to happen, give it a better chance for things to happen. Those things are important, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah, more hits need to happen, and you got to just focus on getting on base more, draw your walks, take advantage of anything you can throughout a game to make something happen. Home runs are a big part of it. You can't stop hitting home runs, and you do need your home run hitters. More things happen when home runs are hit, no doubt about that. But yeah, you got to find a balance. Got to find more of a balance. Got to have a balance of the guys who will hit a crap ton of home runs. And even if the guys who don't incorporate some home runs, that really shouldn't hurt as long as they don't fully stray from what it is they do best. But yeah, even Judge said, you just got to remember to do the basic things that will result in winning some baseball games. Got to remember, you're still playing a kid's game right now. Don't skew too far from what will lead to success. Basic success. Getting on base, get him over, get him in. Hit the ball out of the park when needed. Don't forget about home runs. But they just need to really just find a better way to use their data than they do. It's clearly failed. 
And it leads to poor decision-making too, all throughout the game. And we've seen a lot of players even voice their disgust about it every now and again. They just openly disagree with a lot of it. They got to figure this out. But yeah, I do understand what you're saying. A lot of it has to do with how they utilize their analytics. At DCAS says, commit to cutting dead weight and spend what it takes to win. Be the Yankees. Well, I think they did shed some dead weight last year. Guys like Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson. Problem is that in some cases, especially in Josh Donaldson's case, they just took too damn long. But this year, yeah, you could just continue to analyze where it lays. Some people are referring to that dead weight as Giancarlo Stanton. I'd be willing to give him one more shot this year, at least for a little bit of time in 2024, but we'll see what happens. I definitely don't blame people for being fed up with him, given the fact that he missed some significant time with injury yet again, as he has done so often in his Yankee time. I can't even deny that as a defender of his, because it's a blatant fact. And even when he got back, the nerve of performing the way that he did, regardless of whether or not he holds himself accountable, yeah, it's tough. So a lot of people consider that dead weight. And we'll see how it continues into 2024 and what they will be forced to do, possibly, if it continues. But yeah, I definitely do think that even though it took too long in some cases in 2022, they started to cut some dead weight, but yeah, continue it. Keep on going. Giancarlo may fall into that category at some point if this continues for too long. If he hasn't already fallen into that category for a lot of people, which he has. At Crusaders BBNY says, ask San Diego who they want for Soto. All are on the table except for number 99 and number 45. Obviously, Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole. That's really, yeah. I mean, Soto, of course, you know I agree with that. But when it comes to the Yankees and all the players who really matter, I've said that time and again. I still agree with it. A lot. The two who really matter are Judge and Cole. To me, just about anybody else, maybe closely followed by Glaber Torres, maybe. Just about Anyone else, and Glaber's even included in this too. Glaber, while he's next up on the list, is not completely untouchable to me, but everyone else really outside of Judge and Cole, I'd be willing to part ways with them. I would be. I'd be willing to, if if it was right, if the scenario deemed it necessary, I'd be willing to say goodbye to them and part ways with them. Me personally, I would. The one who most closely follows after that is Glaber Torres, obviously, but even that's tough to say because of what he meant to the team in 2023. Even if you have your problems with Glaber, and I do, particularly his in-game mental mistakes and just apparent lack of focus, but you can't argue his importance to the Yankees. In 2023, he was the best hitter and most consistent hitter on the team. He was a symbol of resiliency and consistency. Through all of the crap times this past year, that means something. So even that's tough to say. But yeah, especially Judge and Cole. Those are the main two in the middle. And guess what? They're not getting any younger. And the Yankees have so many problems here that I think is going to take just more than one winter to fully address. And that's not good. Time is not really on their side. The more that Judge and Cole age. That's the way it is because they're going to be dead in the middle of any potential World Series championship this team wins. They are the centerpieces in whatever you hope to achieve. And the older they get, naturally, the less of a chance you have to win within this window. Time is not really on your side. 
At Gibbs 626 says, sell the team. <laughs> if only that even had a remote chance in hell of happening. As long as it is profitable, and the Yankees never won't be, Steinbrenner is not going anywhere, guys. Hal is not going anywhere. I'd be shocked. Up next, we have at J underscore Torres Messias E says, one, fire the analytics department, and in a very close second, fire Brian Cashman. Yeah, I mean, people spoke about Fishman and others in analytics. Yeah, be a good change, but you can't fire and just abolish because you're going to have the analytics no matter what. But yeah, find replacements for them, definitely. And fire Cashman, I would put that even higher up on the totem pole because he's truly where the team construction comes into play and where a lot of the mindsets originate from. A lot of it's him. He's at the top of a lot of it, guys. At Tommy V. Art says managerial issues. Well, it runs deeper than that. Boone, Boone just does what he's told. But yeah, he definitely doesn't have really much of a feel for in-game scenarios, for sure. I agree with that. And yeah, he's obviously just mostly a mouthpiece for the organization at large, the front office, really. But you need more than just a change there. You do, because only getting rid of Boone, and it's not really something you have to worry about, because as anticipated and also reported on last week, he doesn't seem to be going anywhere. But just getting rid of him... It just wouldn't bring about all the change that the Yankees truly need. Might change a little bit, but it's not too much. And they'd probably just hire another him anyway. I know that's what's generally said, but it's it's the truth. Just how they do things, guys. They've made that apparent the last bunch of years. At Joker Sean 37 says Cashman and Fishman. That'd be lovely. But uh, Fishman's more likely to happen amongst the two. Both would be an absolute shock, let alone just Brian Cashman in himself. (laughs) So, that'd be my first two with Cashman, but it's never going to happen. At Shell895 says, Fire Cashman. All right, so the Fire Cashmans are coming in. There you go. I like it. Regardless of how low of a possibility it is of happening, still like it. (laughs) At SportsGalNY says, DFA Stanton. Hmm. Yeah, I know there are some people out there, like I said before, they already view him as dead weight. They already do. It's tough. Listen, he'll be the first to tell you he brought it upon himself with how he did in 2023. Just coming back off the injured list and in a time period where he really was relied upon and really could have put the team on his back, he just didn't do anything. (laughs) And he had one of the worst offensive seasons I've seen otherwise out of him in his entire career. It's embarrassing. At Sean 9966-0764 says, stop with the analytics. Well, they're never going to stop with the analytics, nor should they. Just have to find out how to properly utilize them and put them into effect. That's what they have to do. Got to just find the people who know how to properly utilize them. But they're part of the game, guys. They're not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Analytics, when used properly, are good. Problem is, Yankee fans just mostly, most of my Yankee community doesn't know that because the Yankees make a lot of stupid decisions and use them incorrectly, therefore giving it a bad name. But when used correctly and logically, (laughs) they can be very good. So it's just on the Yankees to properly utilize it. That's really all it comes down to. Tina at MountainGal456 says, Thanks, Mike, and congrats on your upcoming 200th episode. Thanks so much, Tina. I appreciate it. 
And thank you so much to everyone who has congratulated me so far and will continue to and has continued to throughout the last few days. Really means the world to me. Thank you. She went on to say, I'd say concentrate on hitting, especially with runners in scoring position and also the health and training staff. Way too many ongoing and surprising injuries. It has been a problem with this team for a while. (laughs) It definitely has been. And because of that, I wouldn't really call it surprising. It's definitely expected at this point. It's just irritating beyond belief at this point. But yeah, definitely too ongoing and the hitting itself. Yeah. Even just aside from runners in scoring position, how about getting on base to even get a chance to have a runner in scoring position? (laughs) Because that was the real struggle this year, even just getting on base. On base percentage, damn near bottom of the league, bottom three, four teams in the whole sport. You're not even really going to get all that many runners in scoring position opportunities if you can't even get on base. But yeah, runners in scoring position has been a problem for a decade and a half. (laughs) It has been a problem for a long time, more often than it hasn't. And right now, you just got to focus on getting on base first and foremost, because they have just regressed to that point, even where the on-base percentage was so disgracefully low in 2023, as we know. But yeah, hitting's definitely the one that you mainly got to concentrate on. That's why if you don't address Cashman as somebody majorly in the front office around him, as I say, first and foremost, that's why I look to the offense, the outfield in particular. There are a bunch of question marks. That's why my attention first turns to that before anything else. So, I'm inclined to agree with that, Tina. At RipNYY2023 says, Manager and GM. Well, Boone's not going anywhere. And like I said, if he went individually, it wouldn't solve as much as a lot of people think it would, I think. Maybe a little bit, but Cashman's not going anywhere, guys. It's not happening. As much as I would like for it to happen, it's not. The monotone corporate arrogance shall continue. Even more. At Real Mikey D fifty says Steinbrenner needs to go get Soto. Yeah, Soto would be lovely. It would be lovely. That'd be on Cashman to put together though, and all the people around him, obviously. All right, just a couple more because I didn't even realize we're closing in on an hour and a half. My God, <laughs> my God. Next we have at Puzo Joe saying Stanton traded. Well, good luck putting together a package for that. Next, we have at AJ Kinger says, convincing Stanton to retire. (laughs) A lot of Stanton comments, okay. I think Stanton is a problem after what happened in 2023, but there are so many bigger problems than him. I mean, so many other additions and changes could really help soften the blow of what Stanton did. And a good season, a bounce back could help soften it too. So, I think there are bigger issues than just him. A lot more that needs to be addressed addressed first and foremost. At Tags Yankee says, cut back on analytics. See, I just rather say, do analytics more correctly. <laughs> That's what I'd rather say, rather than cut back on them. Because if used correctly, then it's a good thing. It really is. All right. Last two, as usual. First up is my lovely girlfriend at Vic Salimo saying, start with the foundation, the front office. They are the root of the problem and need to be checked. We need competent minds making big decisions. The players on the team also need to do some talking and learn how to work together as a team. Right now, they don't mesh. Yeah, first and foremost, you analyze the ones who assemble the team. Absolutely right. But then you also realize the players need to be held accountable as well, as you've said. That's 100% correct with the way that they played in 2023. And even Aaron Judge sort of said it, like a sort of lack of urgency. Like you said, they just didn't seem to just, they didn't seem to have what it takes. 
for a team that is really hungry and really wants to do it all. That was not the 2023 Yankees at all. So that's a good approach, Vic. It really is. Last but not least, as always, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, saying, Hi, Mike. Hi, Mom. The most important thing is getting rid of Cashman. We know that's not happening, so I'll say a good center fielder and another amazing starting pitcher, and this is the bare minimum. I say two more good starting pitchers if the cheapos would spend their money wisely for once. Maybe our boys stop bulking up all winter, too, to avoid injuries galore next season. Let's hope for the best. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hey, Steinbrenner said they discussed that, the weight room and communication and all this stuff, so... If that really does improve, hopefully we see an improvement, but I won't hold my breath as far as injuries are concerned after what's happened the last bunch of years with it. But yeah, good center fielder, just good outfielder in general. I mean, a Juan Soto, a Cody Bellinger, even though I'd much rather a Soto, just just get a solid, proven, reliable outfielder. <laughs> and yeah, the starting rotation, that's another thing. Another requirement with all the question marks that remain in there as well heading into 2024, for sure. You're right, that should be the bare minimum. Two starting pitchers would be awesome, but yeah, cheapos spending their money wisely. I like that you mentioned that. Not spend their money, because they do spend their money. Payroll's almost $300 million, even though it could afford to be more because they are the New York freaking Yankees. But the point is, they do spend, because that is still a bit of money. Quite a bit. Just a little bit. But it's just a matter of the Yankees not having properly allocated it. We've talked about that for years, and that's on Brian Cashman. Any general manager would love to operate under the conditions of being able to spend in an unlimited fashion so they could truly do what it is they need to do. But the fact of the matter is, when you're given about $300 million and you field an 82-win team, and this is where looking at Cashman comes in, you've got to look and draw your attention to the person who is responsible for allocating said $300 million and fields an 82-win team and constructs the roster that the Yankees had in 2023. You messed up somewhere, and you definitely deserve a healthy amount of the blame, Cashman. Which is why my mom, many others, myself, all say that that's the first priority regardless of how unlikely it is but also now making the moves that are necessary, starting with the outfield in particular, because you got to start somewhere to improve this team the way it needs to be improved. And there's a lot of other work that has to be done. And there's a lot of other positions we can talk about, all of which we will continue to tackle as the offseason goes along. But as of right now, as of just the second offseason episode, as we talk about where we'd at least like for them to start, on our journey to deeply dissecting every aspect of this team as we do every winter as they continue to come up short every year on a World Series, but most spectacularly this year in Yap and Yankees time. And we'll continue to do that as the winter goes along. But we've gained some good footing to start the offseason, I think, in the first couple of weeks of this early Yankees offseason in 2023, and we will continue going forward. But thank you all for your submissions. I definitely did not get to all of you like I usually don't. But like I always say, that doesn't mean I appreciate you any less. It certainly does not mean that. But just keep on trying if you haven't already, and I will definitely get to you at some point. It's inevitable. I will. One point or another. One episode or another. And hey, next week, you're going to have the 200th opportunity to do that because next week is episode 200, guys. With that being said, 199 
is done for today. History. Finito. Can you believe it? I can't. But I also couldn't believe if by now you weren't following me on all social medias, guys. Which leads me to say, my Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is MikeScuds97. Follow me on all of those if you do not already. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all of those as you always do, my friends. If you've also missed any Yapping Yankees episodes, well, do not fret. Episodes 34 up to episode 199 today. All of them are available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode ever done, going all the way back to episode 1 over four years ago, all the way up to today's episode, are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today, my good friends. I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you in two Sundays again. No episode next week. You're going to have to wait in anticipation for the Grand Bicentennial Episode 200 of Yapping Yankees coming at you in two weeks on October 29th, my good people. But until then, guys, as I always say, and especially in this case with the built-up anticipation for Episode 200, hang in there and be patient. (laughs) But also, stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week. Continue to enjoy the playoffs. Continue to, alongside me, anticipate any potential change that could possibly hit us when it comes to the Yankees. As this offseason progresses, obviously it'll continue to progress even more so once the World Series is over. A lot more opportunity and possibility for things to change once we reach that. But until then, we have the playoffs to enjoy. We have change to anticipate, the team to dissect, as we will continue to do that for episode 202 weeks and beyond until 2024, obviously. But the most anticipated thing, of course, is in two weeks, episode 200 of yapping Yankees, and I cannot freaking wait. It's going to be one for the ages, my friends. But until then, take care, and let's go Yanks. Yanks.